This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hey, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Emma. Hi, Emma. How are you? Hi, Annie. I'm super good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing really good. It's great to see you. So um, why don't you kind of walk us back to sort of the beginning of your drinking journey? Where did it all start for you? Yeah, sure. So uh, look, I grew up um, in a mixture of the UK and Africa, um, very much in the sort of 80s, early 90s, not to age myself too much, but um, very much the culture and the way I was brought up was that we, we all drank. We drank from our sort of mid-teens and I was always kind of the life and soul of the party and I, I, I didn't really have a, um, like a, 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 I didn't really have a notion of being out and being so, and socializing or meeting boys and all those things um, without, without drinking. Um, so I um, pretty much drunk with, without any issue. It seemed to me, I, I had really, really good jobs. I worked for some of of the biggest companies in the world in London and um, went up through the ranks um, and constantly we were drinking. So we'd go out every night and go to the pub and, you know, and, you know, my weekends were basically hanging out with my friends either in the winter that would have been inside and outside in the summer, you know, drinking and, and, and having a good time. Um, and then I moved to Australia and I had two babies. All over. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and um, I carried on working for big international corporations and I was living a really hectic life. Very, very, um, very stressful. I, I didn't see my kids very much at all. Um, and I drank every night pretty much. Um, I took up running, so that was a good thing. So I held down a big career. Um, I was I was healthy. I was running, but I was drinking, you know, um, and I was drinking a lot. And I'd got to a point where my world revolved around alcohol to the point where I couldn't actually do anything or enjoy anything that didn't involve alcohol. Yeah. Um, and I'd just be like, I didn't want to do it. I thought there was nothing wrong with this for a really long period of time. And I just thought this was how life should be. And then, um, yeah, and all my friends drunk and it was just very, very much part of my life and never questioned it. Just literally thought that was, you know, how all the fun people were. Um, and then I got to about 44 and I, um, experienced really bad burnout at work and had to stop working um, for a bit because I was really sick from it. And um, was it physical or how did that, how did that manifest for you? I'm, I'm it was, because I can relate to certain aspects of your story. Uh, it was just, I think it was just, I was on all the time. Like I, because I worked internationally, I was in Australia. So I was constantly on calls everywhere. I just think my body and my mind were completely exhausted. I had no time for my kids. I was constantly in that mum guilt. I never had them ready for the 
activity day. I was the mum who dropped them off at 7am and picked them up at six. And most of the time I was working when I got home as well. So yeah, it was, it was how it manifested for me was I just, um, yeah, I just had a bit of a breakdown. I just, um, I just couldn't, I had a panic attack and I couldn't go in anymore. And I just couldn't get, there was just a lot of other stuff involved in it, but, um, so yeah, like I just emotional, like you just felt afraid and panicky or, um, yeah. And anything. I think I had, I'd given so much of myself to corporate, mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't necessarily always getting the support back and not, and most of my roles and most of my jobs were fabulous and I had an amazing time and I don't regret it for a minute, but towards the end, it began to feel like I was giving everything and I wasn't really getting very much in return. Um, and I decided that wasn't how I wanted to live the rest of my life. Um, so I took some time out, did a bit of healing, added to my running practice a bit of um, yoga and meditation. And I just really followed my nose. Um, and that's when it started to become apparent to me that what I was doing with drinking wasn't in line with where I wanted my life to be. And there were a few things leading up to that. Um, I've got two daughters. They're getting older now. So I've got a 10 year old and a 12 year old. And they started to talk about the drinking. Um, And so it became more apparent to me that the drinking was making them uneasy. Um, and this is just such an important part for me, the, the, the drinking making children feel unsafe. Um, I was literally last night, I was watching this um, drug and alcohol um, presentation um, that was done here in Melbourne. And they were talking about during um, lockdown in Melbourne, how so many kids are reporting that they're not feeling safe or that their mummy's slurring her words. And, you know, because of the level of alcohol is increasing, I think this concept of our children not feeling safe really troubled me because I felt like I was a really good person. Mm-hmm. But I was making my kids feel unsafe. So I'll give you the example of what happened with me. The first inkling was um, I was putting my kids to bed and my daughter goes to me, um, hey, mum, can you leave the wine outside when you come and put us to bed? Because it's making me feel anxious. Mm-hmm. And she actually said those words. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I didn't think too much about it. Um, and then I'd had a couple of, um, stints off drinking. I'd started reading your book. Um, I'd taken two sort of six week stints off and each time I'd felt this amazing sense of freedom that I, that was probably my, my just freedom to be not only freedom to be free in my, in my own mind, but also freedom to be available for my kids when they needed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really empowering. It felt like a place of peace. Um, and 
I think after my, well, it must have been my first or my second six week, I was, went around to some friend's house to watch that movie, um, Wine Country. And me and my daughter came with me. She was going to go and have a sleepover at someone else's house, but she didn't. So my daughter came with me. She was playing with friend's child. And we, as the mum, sat around, drank wine. Not a big night at all. You know, there was people in their pyjamas. There were people driving home. Obviously, I wasn't. Um, and I'd say we probably had a bottle, maybe two bottles of wine. Um, but I then walked out the door with my 11-year-old daughter and I fell into, and it's going to sound, it sounds crazy and it's a funny story in hindsight, um, but I fell into a rose bush and it got stuck in my neck where my jugular is. Oh no. It was just a stupid trip. It was like, literally, you're just walking down a path and your foot, and it wasn't even like I was, I'd drunk that much. It was just one of those things. And anyway, my daughter was there and I was like, no, I'm fine. It's all good. And my daughter's like, no, you're not fine, mum. You're not fine. You've still got a bit of rosebush in your neck. And you need, my friends were going, you need to go to hospital. So my friend took, looked after my daughter. I went off to A&E. It was a public holiday weekend. Um, and I had to be in emergency all over the weekend because they were so worried because it was so close to the jugular. And I think my moment of deepest shame was when um, I was discharged and my exit notes said, and this is um, Australian kind of UK terminology, but um, pissed, which means drunk, um, fell, into a, fell into a rose bush. And I was mortified. I was like, really, Emma, you're 44, 45 years old, for God's sake. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was my wake up call, I think. Um, but like I say, was, I wasn't really, uh, I wasn't, I didn't, I never kind of thought I was problem drinking, but I was now doing drinking in a way that didn't work for my values and didn't work with the way that I wanted my children to mm -hmm. perceive me. It's didn't good. work with how I wanted to be a mum. And didn't work because more and more I was, you know, I was, I was going through a huge period of growth and, and learning and, and everything I was reading was telling me that, you know, adult modeled, and it was the same with that, um, the, the um, presentation I went to last night, adult modeled behavior has such a huge impact on our children, their future relationship with alcohol. Um, so it's not only about the safety of them and them feeling secure that the adult that they rely on is in a competent state to be able to deal with any emergencies and to keep them safe, but also that potentially my behavior was gonna have a knock-on effect for them further down the line um, and those things were really kind of where I went, actually, do you know what? I don't think this is for me anymore. Mm -hmm. Still wasn't completely sold on being alcohol free at this stage though. So, um, I started running every day and listening to your podcasts. And I think I went through November. This is why I'm so happy to be here. Um, this is where I went through sort of November, December, literally listening to you every day as I ran. So, just constant all the time. And um, 
I, something stuck with me on the 365 days. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I just really like that idea of being able to go through each of the different milestones in life. <laughs> and at this stage as well, 365 days felt like a really reasonable thing that I could tell people I was doing. Um, because everyone kind of understood it. And I didn't mean that I didn't need to have those kind of conversations of, are you, are you stopping forever? And so on and so forth. So, so I decided in January um, to stop for 365 days, January this year. And what an interesting year it's been. Um, <laughs> um, but it's been amazing. I joined the live January live experiment. That was fabulous. I met um, Scott and yourself and Simon and all these amazing people. Um, and I was just, it just really touched me because you guys are so genuine and so real and lovely and just um, not, not, not at all corporate or fake or just, just beautifully kind, lovely, gentle people with a lovely philosophy around, you know, loving yourself and being kind to yourself and forgiving yourself and oh, just all these beautiful things that I just now doing what I'm doing now I find such a such a beautiful way to be with people so yeah I can't I can't talk about it more but basically um in the middle of the January live experiment I was listening to Rob I think and Terry and I was like this is my this is my calling this yeah. is what I want to do it's so amazing Emma. <laughs> and that's when I, and I contacted Scott and was like um, I really, really want to do the um, coaching program with you guys. And um, God, I have not looked back. And um, I've met the most amazing people. Um, just, and the sober community is so cool. I had no idea. I was totally in the mindset that, like, so, you know, people who don't drink are like very square. But that's not the case at all. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like maybe people who never drink, maybe. Actually, that would be, yeah. that wouldn't even be a fair stereotype. Yeah. Like, people who have come through the other side, like we were, we're the fun people. That's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so interesting, and that connects so well for me. That whole I think Simon talked about it. That idea of the sober rebel, mm -hmm. um, and that actually you're, and I think Holly has, and yourself. It's that idea that you're actually bucking the system by choosing not to drink. Um, and that everybody's trying to make you drink and that everyone's trying to convince you you're not enough as you are. And I just love that. And I love the name of your book, um, this naked mind and the reason, you know, the reason that you have behind that and just being naked, being, being your, your inner self. It's just a beautiful, beautiful program. Thank you, Annie. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I should, I should say just for people who are new to this, um, so the book title came because it, it was sort of a few reasons, but actually I was eating bare naked granola, which is uh, great. It's delicious granola. Shout out to bare naked granola. This is not a paid sponsorship, but anyway, it's delicious and it is all like organic and it's no kind of fillers or, um, you know, I don't know. What are those things that keep it safe on the shelf? Uh, preservatives preservatives stuff like that thank you <laughs> <laughs> words are hard yeah so it, 
it was, and I was like, oh, that's like how I want my mind to be. Like, you know, I don't want my mind to be full of fillers and like, I want my mind to be naked in that sense. Mm -hmm. And, and then it really connected back to me to like how we were created. You know, we, we were not born with instructions saying, and then, you know, they're going to need to learn how to drink and make sure they get alcohol when they're in their adulthood because yeah. they need that to carry on. And, you know, and I was like, yeah, we were just born just perfectly good. Like we had everything we needed inside of ourselves and yeah, we didn't, we didn't need this external substance, but you wouldn't know that by our society. Our society yeah. seems to think that actually, no, this is a necessary thing, just like food or something, but it's not, it's not true. So anyway, that's kind of the background of the book, but that's, that's quite yeah. I know you and I have been having a conversation specifically about the impact of um, of drinking on kids, mm. and we've been talking about the fact that there's there's definitely, and I've been looking for the sources for you, um, Thank you. That I've, I've read it in, in various places, um, but there's definitely, there's very clear impacts of drinking on kids in, mm -hmm. in the sense of uh, the house gets disrupted, things are unpredictable, there's a higher prevalence of abuse. Um, there's yeah. a higher prevalence of violence. There's a higher prevalence of like yelling and anger and all of these sorts of things you think are mm -hmm. very clear. Um, mm -hmm. But interestingly, and I, I can, I read this um, somewhere and I also have had uh, a, a cousin in my family and she says that her mom, so she's my cousin once removed, she's a generation, you know, older than me. And she said that her mother would, um, would come home and she wouldn't drink a lot, but she would drink Friday and Saturday nights because they would go out with their friends and they would come home and they'd come into bed to tuck her in drunk. And she said her mom went from this very stoic kind of conservative lady to this very gushy, like, Oh, I love yeah. you so much, my dear. I miss you. And all of this stuff. And actually for my cousin, this created an equal amount of anxiety for her in her mm. because it was so unpredictable and because it yeah. was so foreign to how her she knew her mom to be and so it felt really as if her mom was a stranger and it and it awakened all these questions like well why doesn't she feel like this when she's not drinking and what is it about alcohol that makes me tolerable to her and and so she actually to this day will only ever drink one, she has five children, she will only ever drink one bottle of beer um, mm. because she never wants ever to ever risk that her children see her. Yeah. And, yeah. and she doesn't imagine that she would be abusive or angry or anything, but she knows that even that overly gushy kind of mm. just constant nature was really really one of her she she would describe it as one of her most terrifying memories yeah wow it's her mom would come in the room to yeah. kiss them good night after a night out so um yeah. it's just fascinating how there is an impact even when it's not the impact that yeah. you imagine and you're like well well i wasn't i wasn't beating anybody up you know i wasn't smashing things about but like there's still there's still a big impact that's right there's just that level as well, I think, of um, just uncertainty for them. What are they going to do? Who's putting us to bed? What's happening? Yeah, you know, like, oh. Will dinner be on the table? What? Yeah. <laughs> and I know for us, um, when we were drinking and we had little, little kids, it really did depend. If we remembered, you know, like th there would, 
no alcohol in our house. It is a very routine. We just naturally fallen into a routine schedule. We eat around six, yeah. you know, bedtime for the three-year-old is around seven 30 bedtime for the older boys are between eight 30 and nine. And, you know, we'll, we'll watch a show, then we'll go and read. And it's just a very natural rhythm and cadence. Mm. And I think we just underestimate how important that is for children. And so when we were drinking, it wasn't like that at all. It might be natural for Monday and Tuesday. And then Wednesday we'd have friends over and we'd be on yeah. the back porch. They'd kind of be fending for themselves. We'd be like, oh, it's a late night. Go ahead and watch a movie. It's fun for you. Don't That's worry. Right. And like, actually, I thought I was giving them a gift and involving them in the party, but it did create yeah. anxiety um, yeah. in their just system because it, it wasn't predictable. And that's right. Predictability. It's phenomenal. Yeah. I think it fits in as well with, I, I, rem, I remember having the kids, the other people's kids come around. We punch them all in front of, bunch them all in front of a, a movie. And like occasionally they'd come out and they'd want to do something like they want to perform in front of us or something like that. And everybody was just trying to get rid of them. You know, these poor little kids that you've only got for like such a short space of time. We'll just be like, God, and this is me as well. I'd be like, yeah, come on. Yeah, we're all right. Thank you very much. We'd like to carry on with our adult stuff now. And then my, as my kids got older, they were just like, mom, this is sh rubbish. We don't want to, we don't want to do this anymore. We don't want to go around to that person's house and sit on their couch with people we don't really know <laughs> that are yeah. just your friends. Yeah. So <laughs> you true. Know. And, and now my kids, now that they are older and they've been, you know, in an alcohol-free house for a while, they will mm. go out to birthday parties of friends. I'll drop them at the birthday party. I'll pick mm. them up and they'll be like, oh my gosh. And, and most recently, you know, it'll be like a teacher from their school because it's a small community and the teachers would yeah. be there, kids would be there and everything. And they'd be like, Miss so-and-so was, wow, I just never had seen her like that. She was just giggling yeah. and, and kind of like dancing and, and it makes them mm. feel so weird. She's like, I was like, how was it for you? Oh, it was weird. It made me feel so weird. It gave me a feeling in my tummy. Yeah. Like, oh, interesting. Well, let me tell you about it. It's, you know, because she's yeah. and she can't, don't expect that at school. She won't be like that at school, you know, trying to really help reassure them. Um, but it is, it is very interesting. And one thing I will say that I think is really important, especially for people listening to this who are mm. in the midst of it and in the throes of it. Yeah. And feeling the guilt and the shame, like, I just want to reiterate that, like, compassion for yourself is the absolute best way to change. And so there's a lot of ways you can do that. But one of the ways is just realizing that you are doing the best you can with the tools you had. And so sometimes, I actually recently had a, another podcast guest, and she told me what she would do when she was imagining, she had an experience where she actually fell down the stairs in a blackout with her infant in her arms. Oh. And she was all bruised up, but the baby was okay. Mm. And she said when she would feel the guilt and shame of that coming on because she had gone through like the mm. naked mind methodology, she knew how central and core compassion was. Mm. She would actually visualize herself of throwing the baby, like falling down the stairs. And she would visualize herself walking up and hugging herself. And just yeah. like giving yourself a big hug and a big kiss and actually getting really in touch with like, and just saying, it's like, okay, it's okay. We get through this. You're doing the best you could with the tools you had. Like, don't worry. And, and just really um, doubling down on learning compassion for ourselves. Because if you want to change this for your kids, like that is the way it is through self-compassion is through self-forgiveness. And then you're modeling that beautiful behavior for them, which, okay, 
I don't know about anybody else, but my kids sure beat themselves up all the time. And I think it's just a really natural thing. And so how can we interrupt that pattern? How can we teach them this, I think, through modeling totally. it for ourselves? Totally. Totally. Yeah, that was a really good point to make, honey. I think that's one of my favorite um, quotes from you <laughs> that I use all the time when I'm speaking to clients. I'm like, just, you were doing the best you can with the tools you had. And it just is so beautiful and loving and warm. And I use it all the time with myself as well when I look back. Because I think we all have a bit of guilt over our behavior, you know. And yeah, it's just, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I remember listening to something you were saying around, um, you know, sometimes it's that guilt that helps propel us to do different things, you know, and that's so some, you know, in a way it can, we can see it as a bit of a gift as well. Cause I've spoken to a lot of people who, who, who feel guilty about different things that have happened when they've been drinking. But I think one of the things I know the drug and alcohol foundation here in Oz um, say, you know, one of the greatest things is our ability to, to change, yeah. you know, and our ability to do things differently and to change that situation um and that's the that's the beauty of i think what you guys what you guys teach and how quickly as well we can you know change that situation for our children and how quickly we can really pull them into something that feels a lot a lot safer yeah they're so resilient we're so resilient yeah our children are so much more so and yeah really just saying okay like knowing because at the core of it, um, you know, guilt can motivate us and that's a good thing, mm. but stuck in guilt or stuck in shame and being yeah. up, it is a quite selfish behavior mm. because what it does is in the moment we take action against ourselves in the nature yeah. of chastising, beating ourselves up, all of this stuff. Yeah. And actually that action makes us feel better because we feel like mm. we're doing something and we deserve it. And so we feel like we're taking like some action. And so we feel better. So it becomes this thing where people can get really addicted to beating themselves up because mm. they feel better. They feel justified and they feel like, okay, mm. I'm taking some action towards correcting my behavior. But yeah. all of the research that I've seen recently says, no, no, no. Like that action doesn't correct your behavior as much as saying, okay, I did something wrong. I'm yeah. owning it. I feel that, but I also am going to make a different choice going forward without yeah. that repeating guilt beating and yeah. shaming of myself because that only serves me. It doesn't actually serve our kids for us to keep beating ourselves up. Yeah. It makes the whole thing awkward. And what does beating yourself up, especially <laughs> you start to do it verbally, especially, yeah. oh, I'm, I can't believe I was such a bad mom. Oh my gosh. What does your kid feel like? They just need to comfort you. So then yeah. they're assuming the role they're responsible. Right. Yeah. It's not yeah. a gift to them. Like yeah. it's a gift to you. It's a very selfish behavior at its core mm. because you're almost fishing from your own mind, you know, from stuff. And so actually the radically selfless behavior is compassion. And yeah. I know it's hard to get your head around because it's kind of a different concept, but I believe that's really true. I agree. I think it's so beautiful. And the, ladies that I've been working with recently that is absolutely core to everything and I'm and that they've come to me through you and they're like it's just so different it's such a different way of looking at you, you know it's not about um you know uh, quitting or um failing and those kind of words just go away it's about 
choosing and freedom and you know forgiving yourself and being kind to yourself and loving yourself as hard as you can um just such a such a beautiful beautiful methodology certainly certainly has worked for me so um i'm passing it on to as many people as i can i love that and if somebody wanted to work with you directly where would they find you what is your website um so my website is www and then it's hope rising coaching.com hope rising coaching okay we'll put that in the show notes as well it's awesome awesome thank you annie let me ask you the question we kind of end this on, which is if you were going to go back to Emma of your yesteryear and tell mm. her about what life is like now, what would you tell her? Uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you can't, you, you don't want to criticize her. I don't want to criticize her, but I'd say to her, you're enough as you are. You don't need to drink to be, to try and be something else. Yeah, you're, 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 you're good as you are. Yeah, and give her a big cuddle. <laughs> I love that. So good. So good. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's very good. And for the work you're doing in the world and just for, for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Annie. I really appreciate being able to be on here. Hi, I'm so excited, you guys, because we are just about to start another live alcohol experiment. And if you do not know about the alcohol experiment, you need to literally drop everything right now and go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash LAE. That's LAE for live alcohol experiment. And here's the thing. This 30-day challenge is designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You know it's that version that's living the most joyful life, that version that doesn't need alcohol to relax, or have a good time and that version that's having more fun and is more peaceful than ever. Again, it's a 30-day challenge. It's live. It's starting on the first. So hurry up. Go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash LAD. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.